Welcome to Briefly Legal, your podcast briefing on legal news, developments, and legislation on the go. Brought to you by the attorneys of Crow and Dunleavy. The following should not be considered as a substitute for legal advice. Visit CrowDunleavy.com for more information. Welcome back, everyone. This is your host, Adam Childers, with the podcast known as Briefly Legal, brought to you by the law firm of Crow and Dunleavy. I'm here in the Crow's Nest for Season 2, Episode 5 of our podcast. Excited to be here and really excited to talk about a topic that I got to be honest with you. When I was back in law school or my college days and even before, I didn't think I'd be talking about, uh, and that is cannabis. That's right, marijuana for the uh, uninitiated. And we're going to be talking specifically about how it intersects with banking law and banking regulations, which means that I need to call upon minds greater than mine uh, to understand the ins and outs of all these ever-changing regulations. So I've called on two of my law partners here at Crow and Dunleavy to help out, that being Joel Harmon and Zane Anderson. Say hello, guys. Hi, Adam. Good morning to everyone. This is Joel Harmon. And this is Zane Anderson. Glad to be here today with everybody and talk a little cannabis banking. Well, there we go. Guys, I really do appreciate it. This is a podcast I think I've been after you guys for uh, for a few months. You're busy guys and hard to pin down, but uh, now is a perfect time for it because as we come into the spring season, that means there's a lot of legislation that's out there, even more regulations to comply with in an area of the law that is fraught with regulation. And just to give our listeners an idea of, of how big a deal this really is, I am blown away by these numbers. In our, our pre-show production, we were talking about, uh, you know, how many licenses there are out there. So check this out, listeners. We've got in the state of Oklahoma currently 382,000 people who have been licensed for consumption of medical marijuana. 382,000, meaning that that's roughly about 10% of the uh, population of the state of Oklahoma. But add to that that we've got uh, roughly 8,100 uh, licenses that have gone out to those who are going to be growers, another 2,200 and change for those who run dispensaries. And then you add to that um, 1.5,000 for uh, processors, another 100 for uh, transporters, 29 for laboratories and uh, 2,000 for caregivers. And, uh, you know, don't, don't hire a lawyer for, to do math, but, but even my shoddy math tells me that that's just shy of 400,000 licenses across the state of Oklahoma, whether you're on the consumer side or on the side of receiving revenue from it, which makes this a really, really big deal in the state of Oklahoma. So that's why we've got Joel and Zane here. And just briefly let you know about the two of them. Joel is the co-chair of our firm's banking and financial institution practice group. He represents banks and uh, advises them as to regulatory issues. And then Zane is a member of the banking practice group as well, and also our cannabis industry practice group, where he assists clients in the development, the operation, and growth of their businesses. Okay, fellas, this is a big area, a lot of moving targets, but let's let's kind of start with some nuts and bolts. And Zane, I want to turn to you first. Let's let's kind of go back in time for a second. It's the summer of, I guess, 2018. Kind of talk us through the process by which medical marijuana even became uh, an opportunity in the state of Oklahoma. 
Yeah, definitely. Well, it, it started out and came to pass as an initiative petition. So 788 is what everyone will see it referred as to. And because that's how it came into existence, it was kind of a push by the people to get it in. So the initiative petition went out and the voters, the people voted on it and decided that's something they wanted in the state. And it passed. And it passed overwhelmingly. I yes. mean, the, the numbers were large. And, and I'm glad you pointed out that I think a lot of people forget as an initiative petition, didn't kind of go through the normal process, you know, going through the House, Senate, you know, going through committees. And as a result, I don't see if you uh, agree with me, but there were probably a lot less in the way of rules and regulations when it, it came into existence. That's right. It came into existence and in, in shortly after the state was tasked with trying to put the regulatory framework in place uh, in a very short period of time. So you'll hear a lot of people kind of refer to it as the Wild West um, <laughs> in terms of the industry. And and that's because it, it came in quickly and uh, it has a low barrier of entry. And it wasn't highly regulated. Which is why I think we're seeing that Oklahoma is way out there in terms of per capita dispensaries, uh, growers, licenses. Am I am I right that, you know, we're – and this is, again, strange to say about the ruby red state of Oklahoma. But, you know, marijuana has become a big part of what we do. That's right. It's a big part. And again, it's a fairly low barrier of entry to get into. So a lot of people that are interested in it or wanted to give it a shot took that opportunity and and got into the cannabis game. You're right. And with with mixed results, like any wild, wild west, there's going to be some that strike gold and others that that don't, but still makes it an exciting time for businesses. But but Joel, let me turn to you that, you know, from the banking side of things. You know, there's not only the state regulations to be thinking about, but, you know, marijuana is still an illegal substance under federal law, correct? That's right. Marijuana is still a controlled substance under the Controlled Substances Act, which is a piece of longstanding federal regulation. And even though we changed the law in Oklahoma to allow certain types of, of marijuana businesses and medical marijuana, it didn't change the federal scheme for regulation of controlled substances. And so uh, you have to remember that banks are governed by a lot of different regulations, both state and federal. There's really a, a dual regulatory scheme. And it's a little bit different depending on whether you're a state chartered bank or a federal chartered bank. But even state chartered banks have certain federal requirements that they have to observe and comply with. And Certainly one of those is to follow federal law. And if you're assisting a business in growing a substance that's illegal under federal law, you'll be looked at as someone who's maybe aiding and abetting someone in violating federal law. So you don't want that to happen. And, and so that, yeah, that creates a conundrum, right? I mean, for a lot of these banks, and it has to be something that is being experienced in other states as well. I think what we're at, what, 37 out of 50 states now that there's some form of recreational or medical marijuana? That's my understanding, approximately 37 states or U.S. territories. And so banks all over the country have this issue. And if you think about what banks do normally, you know, they traditional banking services would be having deposit accounts. So receiving deposits from a business so that that business has a safe place to put its money and uh, upon which it can write checks and pay bills and so forth, or making loans to businesses. And so in the marijuana uh, or cannabis industry, that's really no different. Those businesses need deposit services 
and they need lending services to to some degree to the extent that they need to borrow money to to start up. So knowing that there is that need and then there is this growing market, usually legislation's a little bit behind, but uh, has there been movement at the federal level to try to create sort of a safe haven for those states where this tension exists? There's been a lot of effort to try to fix the banking problem for, for this industry. At first, those efforts years ago were focused on just taking marijuana off of the Controlled Substances Act, but that has failed multiple times, and I don't think anybody seriously thinks that's going to change anytime soon. The next sort of round of attempts was at carving out an exception for banks in the states where marijuana, whether it's medical or recreational, was legalized. And so that's kind of where we are now. There is a piece of legislation called the Safe Banking Act that was introduced uh, two or three years ago. It failed during one session of Congress. It was reintroduced in the next session, which is the one we're in now. It has passed the House of Representatives more than once, I think about three or four times, and has always gotten stuck in the Senate, and that's where it is now. It's stalled out. That legislation has a lot of sponsorship. It has like 180 House members as co-sponsors and 35 or 40 sponsors in the Senate. It's supported by the American Bankers Association, and it's also supported by the Oklahoma Bankers Association. And what it effectively would do is if if you're in a state where some form of marijuana business is legal, then you would be allowed to bank, so to speak, to provide banking services to that business. Now, there's a lot around that, but that's the essence of it. There are some additional fees in that legislation, taxes, of course. Of course. And and all kinds of things. But that's the essence of it. Now, it's stalled out a couple of times in the Senate. But, you know, if you listen to most political pundits, I think that there's the thought that the Republicans, who seem to be the ones that are most opposed to its passage, are going to pick up a few seats here in the fall. So I'm thinking that the prospects of the Safe Banking Act making its way out of the Senate are probably diminished. Is that fair? I think it's fair. I I mean, none of us are good political prognosticators, but uh, it seems uh, somewhat far-fetched to me that it's going to pass anytime soon. So then that leads me to then what is it that Oklahoma bankers are doing? How do they handle this? I suppose there's got to be a subset that says we're just going to sit on the sideline not get involved with that until we get more clarity. But, you know, you heard Zane describe this as the wild, wild west. There's got to be a few folks that are a little bit more daring. So kind of walk me through what are the banks out there? What were the approaches being taken? Well, I think you can put them in in two or three categories. There's a group of banks that have just decided we're not going to get into the business until it's fixed the right way at the federal level legislatively. We're not going to touch it. And so we're going to do our best to just stay away from the business. And I think that's probably most Oklahoma bankers. There's another group that are kind of, I don't want to say it's a, you know, situation, don't ask, don't tell kind of thing, but they may know their customers are in some form of that business, but they really don't have direct knowledge of it. And so they're they're not calling that customer out necessarily. They're just going ahead and banking them. And maybe that customer has other businesses that they, uh, you know, derive revenue from that comes through the bank. In my mind, I can, I'm thinking of an old Clinton era uh, 
don't ask, don't tell. Uh, it, it sounds vaguely familiar here. Well, but <laughs> I don't think that's very many uh, banks, really, because uh, most, you know, Coleman bankers want to be in compliance. Sure. Uh, you know, they do. And they don't they don't want to go against what regulators tell them or what regulations, state or federal, would tell them to do. And then I think you have a small handful, uh, and by small, I mean maybe three, four banks in the state that have decided we're going to bank the cannabis business. Now, we're not going to loan them money, which is a whole nother set of problems, but we will take their deposits. And in fact, we, we see it publicly because they'll advertise maybe on their websites or in other ways. They're doing that is at least our understanding, but they're doing so with a very, very heavy compliance burden. The regulations would require you to file reports on uh, just about every deposit that's made. They have to file what are called SAR, suspicious activity reports. And that's a law that goes across the board no matter what kind of business, but it gets raised particularly with respect to marijuana or cannabis businesses. And so there's a lot of extra work that has to go on. And so they've made the decision, we're going to do that. We're going to hire a bunch of extra compliance people and we're going to get into this business. But the cost to the customer is higher because they're not going to just do that for free. So they're going to charge and they are charging significant fees on those deposit accounts, checking accounts, savings accounts and so forth in order to take in that business. Which, of course, has a downstream effect on the ultimate consumer, which, you know, those costs probably get defrayed in terms of markup on the merchandise. But obviously still worth trying to find a way to get into this because, Zane, I was talking with you about the the numbers, you know, and it's astounding to me. In uh, For 2021, the, the whole tax year, uh, the 788 tax, which I think is a, a tax that's named after state question 788, this is kind of a, a an independent tax just for the industry, that collected $66 million. And then last year, just for state local sales taxes, another eighty-three million. Uh, so we're talking about big bucks here, right? That's right. Yeah, it's a it is a big industry in Oklahoma, and I think the the numbers that you've mentioned uh, thus far kind of indicate that. So I, I guess then, as we move into the the state legislative session, you know, there's got to be just a number of bills that are out there. I think you mentioned that you'd been, you know, tracking the, the numbers. What what are you seeing in terms of attempts to try to put further regulation on all this? Yeah, like we had we had already mentioned that um, because of the way 788 came to pass, it came in without a lot of regulatory framework around it. So the state and the industry have, have been playing catch up on some of the regulations and trying to kind of define and and refine the the industry itself. So, you know, we've set through some recent programs that, you know, there's a hundred plus bills in some way, shape or form that involve the cannabis industry in Oklahoma uh, that are trying to put some type of framework around it. So it's a ever changing industry. Yeah, I was going to say that means just about, you know, every legislative session and, you know, maybe month by month, the, the rules of the game might change. So I guess that kind of brings me to the, the, the concluding point here is I've got, you know, a couple of minds, not only for the banking industry, but saying you also take care of the folks on the cannabis industry side. What what best practices, what what advice and counsel would you pass along to those who want to get involved in this wild, wild west, but are a little bit worried about the rules changing day by day? Yeah, I mean, I think the best advice is, you know, kind of do your diligence on it. And, and that's to say, 
there are so many rules and regulations that are in place and are changing and are coming down the pipeline. And so, you know, kind of best advice is make sure to hire a professional that can kind of help you lead you down that path, whether that's a, an attorney, you know, that's something that we, we do or a, some type of consultant that can help kind of navigate the ever changing landscape in the cannabis industry. Well, I know who my vote would be for before a couple of well-trained attorneys who uh, keep their eye on the ball when it comes to all these regulations, which is exactly why you were guests on the show today and why I know that uh, your clients turn to you consistently for that kind of sound advice and counsel. I appreciate it. Now, guys, this is both of you guys, the first time you've been on the show, which means we can't conclude things without uh, moving into that segment that I like to call Get to Know Your Crow. And, and Joel, we'll start with you. You know, if I were to have guessed what you were going to to talk about, I, you know, you being a refined man of good tastes, I thought, uh, I thought, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if you were a, a world traveler, and indeed you are, and you enjoy uh, very much traveling to Europe. And so we got to talking uh, before the show about uh, one of your favorite places to go. And, and alas, it's one I haven't been to. It's Italy. Is that one of your favorite vacation spots? That's exactly right. My wife and I have been blessed to go there and we've enjoyed it. Now, I I wanted to know, well, where, where, where do I go? Like if, I, if I've never been, then where's the place that I need to go? And you actually kind of cut the, the country up into three areas when describing this. So tell our, tell our listeners. I did. I kind of look at it as uh, north, middle, and south. And uh, if I was starting, I'd probably, or if I thought I was only going to go once and maybe wasn't sure when I was going to get to go back, I'd probably go to the middle section, which in, in my mind, I'm including Rome and Florence and the Tuscany area and that kind of thing. Because it's just, uh, there's so much wonderful history there, art and artifacts and just all kinds of things. And of course, great food. That's just uh, impossible to beat. Uh, and the people have always been nice to us. Uh, and we just really enjoyed it there. The north section, I would say, I would I would put Milan in there in the lake region, like uh, Lake Como and other lakes, and then over to Venice. And then the south part, maybe Naples and the Amalfi Coast in that area. So that's kind of how I would divide it up. And uh, people... Uh, with COVID easing up a little bit, hopefully a lot more people will get to go soon. Sure, hope so. You know, if, if your legal career peters out, which I know it won't, but if it did, uh, I'll be looking for you to, you know, put together some uh, some books on adventures in in Italy. You've, you've got it down to the, uh, you know, all all of it uh, from coast to coast and in between. So that leads us to Zane. Uh, Zane is uh, one of our young partners here at the firm, still active enough uh, sports wise to to get out and. And, uh, show everybody how it's done. I say this because I've, I've had the misfortune of playing everything from golf to basketball to skeet shooting and things in between. And the one thing that's always impressed me while also really aggravating me is that Zane is particularly good at about just every sport that he picks up. Heck, he even uh, showed his skills off when we went bowling together. So I began to think that, you know, I uh, think badly of myself, but then I, I realized that, you know, there's there, there may be more to it than that. Uh, you know, uh, Zane is a member of uh, the Citizen Potawatomi Nation, and uh, he he told me the translated portion of his his Indian name. And and Zane, tell us tell us about that process, and then lead us up to what your name is, which I think once you have a name like this, uh, you know, how could you ever go wrong in any sport ever? Yeah, so back in 2014, my family got the uh, opportunity to 
go out to the citizen Potawatomi Nation uh, grounds and receive uh, traditional Indian names. Um, the chief of the tribe came out and there was a whole ceremony. It was a great event for our whole family. And so we'd all received uh, different names and you kind of had to fill out some information uh, about yourself to get there. And uh, as you mentioned, a lot of it was sports related for me. That's what I did growing up. And so my uh, official name, and uh, I'll probably get the pronunciation wrong myself, but is Pequot Bonse, uh, which translates into ball hawk. Um, as you mentioned, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a fun event and, um, and feel very fortunate to have that opportunity. For those wondering, if you're ever going head to head with someone whose secret name is ball hawk, you're probably not going to come out on the winning side. So I'm going to, I'm going to blame it on uh, the name and not on my, my own ineptitude when it comes to all sports that I've uh, decided to square off against Zane in, but it's a nice finish to what's been a wonderful uh, podcast. Guys really appreciate uh, the well-rounded look that you guys have given at what is really a dynamic industry that, uh, and I keep coming back to this, but Zane said it, it, the wild, wild west. And it's kind of fun to be, uh, alive and part of it, but it's also good to know that there's folks like you that know uh, what to do and how to do it uh, when going through these challenging and dynamic times. So that's a wrap, everybody. I do want you to please keep in mind that the next time that you have a legal topic that you want to know more about, like uh, cannabis in the banking industry, well, why don't you send your ideas to us at legal at crowdunlevy.com, and you might just hear that topic uh, in a future episode. Also, depending on what platform you are listening to this podcast, for those of you who are Spotify listeners, I wanted to encourage you. I, I noticed the other day that you didn't used to be be able to rate uh, the program. You can just follow, but now you can rate it as well. So why don't you throw up whatever um, amount of stars that you uh, think this uh, show deserves. I'd I'd advocate for five, but you be the uh, decision maker on that. And in the meantime, I just wanted to say uh, stay healthy, friends, and we look forward to the next time with you here on Briefly Legal.